Isn't that awesome? They did a great job, didn't they? Usually, you know, you got the, uh, when we have the little, the one and two-year-olds or whatever, when they're up here, you got all the adults singing and dancing, and the kids are just kind of, you know, but they actually got the kids to sing, so I was really happy about that. We actually get the kids to sing. So I think that that's one of the unique things about Faith Code Church is I, I tell them, I'm like, every time we get ready to do anything production-wise as far as what we're doing, I say, hey, just get the kids out there. Whatever you do, get the kids out there because, man, Christmas is about kids, so. Hey, uh, we're continuing a, a series called The Christmas Carol, and uh, I, I'm so glad that you're spending your Christmas Eve with us, and hopefully um, you got all your shopping done. Did you get all your shopping done? Anybody, anybody, you still, you still got to go back and shop some more? May God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> the funny thing for me is, is this past week as I was getting some last minute things is watching the guys in these environments that they're not very comfortable in. I mean, think about it. Think about all these guys that are shopping that they would never, you would never see a guy in his, you know, flat, flat front, flat toe uh, cowboy boots and his cowboy hat. You would never see a guy like that at the perfume counter at Dillard's. You'd never, he's out of his environment. You're seeing guys all over the mall, all over, all over uh, Walmart or whatever. Oh, I was going to tell you, our kids workers, you know, they're not, they're not dressed up to go to Walmart. They're wearing pajamas on purpose. Okay, so I was just going to let you know. That's the whole month the, our kids' workers are uh, working in that environment, and, and they're wearing their pajamas. Pretty cool thing. Uh, you know, anyway, uh, hopefully, you know, all the shopping, all that's done, it reminds me of a story of a husband and wife that were at the mall, and it was a very busy day during the Christmas season, and they only had a, a day or two to get things done. So she was shopping. She looked around, and as usual, as it usually happens, she looks around, and her husband is gone. So she picks up her cell phone in the mall and calls her husband and says, hey, honey, where are you? We need some help. I've got a, I need some help. We've got a lot of stuff to buy. And uh, he said, hey, you know that jewelry store that we visited 10 years ago? And while we were there, uh, you picked out this diamond necklace, and you fell in love with it, and we didn't have the money 10 years ago to buy that. But I said, hey, if I ever get the money, I'm going to come to this jewelry store, and I'm going to buy that. And she take a, took a step back and kind of got broke up a little bit and said, yeah, I remember. He said, well, I'm at the sporting goods store right next to that, so uh, looking at the shotgun. So when you get done, you can come down and... <laughs> Christmas at the movies is where we take the storyline of movies and use them as modern day parables, try to draw out some of the things or some of the principles from the scripture. We look at the scripture for the principles that we're trying to find. Let's kick it off with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here today. Thank you for what we are already ex experiencing, Lord, here at Christmas Eve. I pray, Lord, that you will bless us, open up our hearts and minds to receive what you would say to us today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... I want you to look at your neighbor and say, it's almost Christmas. A Christmas Carol is a novel written in the mid-1800s by Charles Dickens. And the main character, you probably know this, is Ebenezer Scrooge. He uh, is a greedy old miser kind of character. He hates Christmas and everybody who celebrates it. According to the fictitious novel... On Christmas Eve, the Scrooge is visited by the ghost of his good friend, Jacob Marley, handsome guy. Uh, he comes to him in chains, and he explains that the chains that are bound about him 
he unknowingly forged for himself in life. And as a result, this, this happened as a result of his greed and his selfishness. He goes on to say that it is because he spent his entire life obsessing over his money, robbing or mistreating the poor and, and the wretched to fill his pockets. A quote from the book, Marley's Ghost, says these words to the Scrooge, and I quote, he says this, No space of regret can make amends for one life's opportunity misused. Yes, such was I, Scrooge. Oh, such was I. Scrooge looks at him and says, but you're always a good man of business, Jacob. Business, the ghost cried, wringing his hands again. Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all of my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. Then he held up his chain at arm's length as if that were the cause of all of his unveiling grief, and he flung it heavily upon the ground again. At this time of the rolling year, he said, I suffer the most. Why did I walk through crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down and never raise them to that blessed star which led the wise men to the poor? Then he tells Scrooge, you probably know the story, he tells him that he's going to be visited by three ghosts, one of the past, the present, and the future. In the scene that you're about to watch, Ebenezer is talking to the ghost of his future in an old cemetery, and he's asking for another chance for his life. Let's watch this. Get it! 
Christmas in my heart and try to keep it from here. I will not shut out the lessons of the past, nor present, nor future. Oh, pray, Spirit, tell me I may sponge away the writing on that stone. charging for movies here we got a pretty good setup here <laughs> if you think about this movie it's really a story about life it's a story particularly about one person's life who was able to go back and, and see life from a perspective of he was actually able to see his life from the perspective of three different time periods and then he was able to go back and change his life because he didn't like how he turned out what if you could visualize your entire life like this, from start to finish. What if you could take a look at the past, your present, and the future of your life? I'll go all the way to the end. What if you could go all the way to your funeral and see things? You could hear what people said about you. What if you could see the future to when you were beyond life and see what people said about you in environments? How would you live your life? Well, we can't do that, but we can take a look at the scripture and see what the Bible has to say because the Bible was written from a begin with the end in mind perspective. The Bible was written because God is a timeless God, and that's the way God sees the world. He knows the end times. He knows what's going to happen. He knows the past. God is infinite. There is no beginning. There is no end to God. So God inspired my, man to write the Bible, and the scriptures were written from a perspective of the end in mind. So let's take a look at what the scripture says about life. What does life or what does the Bible has to have to say about our lives and how we should live them? Number one, when it comes to your life, life is short. The Bible tells us that life is short. Job 14 and 1, it says, how frail is humanity? How short is life? How full of trouble? We blossom like a flower and then wither. Like a passing shadow, we quickly disappear. This cycle has continued for years, for, for millenniums, if you will. That we're born, we live, and we die. We're born, we live, and we die. We're born, we live, and we die. It's been happening, it's, this cycle has been happening for thousands of years. Psalm 144 and 4 says this. It talks about our lives. We are like a breath of air. Our lives are like, our lives are like a breath of air. Their days are like a passing shadow. I want you to do something for me. I want you to breathe in and breathe out. One more time. Breathe in and breathe out. 
from, a, from an eternal perspective, your life is just like that. From an eternal perspective, the Bible says your life is like a breath of air. Breathe in and hold it. Breathe in and hold it. There went half your life. Breathe out. That was the rest of your life. Breathe in. You're 50. Breathe out. You're 100. That's how fast, from an eternal perspective, that's how fast our lives pass us by. It happens fast. Number one, life is short. Number two, you only get one life, the Bible says. In Ecclesiastes 99, it says, it talks about living happily with our, our spouse and with our family. But it also goes on to say in the 10th verse, whatever you do, do well. For when you go to the grave, there will be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. Listen to me, my friend. There is no such thing as reincarnation or karma. Once it's over, it's over. You don't come back a cow, a bird, or fly, or whatever. When this life is over, in this life is over. We step into a world. But this time is all we have on this earth. Which we must consider this when it comes to the plans that we make. Knowing this reality, notice this, noticing this eternal reality, knowing that we only get one shot at this life, it would, it, it would stand to reason that tomorrow when we, go, we wake up and we plan our days, that we consider that once this day is gone, we will never get this day back. I'm not telling you to live life, you know, live every day like it's your last because people do stupid things. If it's your last day and you know it, I'm talking about that you only get one life. So whatever you're thinking about doing, whatever you're thinking about accomplishing, whatever you're thinking about saying to somebody that you need to say, whoever you're think, thinking about making amends with, whatever you're doing as far as love, whatever, you, <coughs> excuse me, whatever you're thinking about doing as far as generosity, today is the day. Amen? Today is that day. Day. You only get one shot at life and there are no do-overs. Look at your neighbor and say, what are you waiting for? Life is short. You only get one. Number three, make a difference. God has put you on this earth for a reason. Not to just take up breath or, or air and not to take up space. He has put you in this life for a reason to make a difference. And what you do in this life matters. In Ephesians 5 and 15, it says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. I want you to look at your neighbor. Just look at him and don't say anything. Go ahead, look at him while I read this. Don't live like fools. All right, look back at me. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly. In other words, think about your life and understand what the Lord wants you to do. In other words, I believe that this scripture, the writer was saying, make your life count. Do everything that you can with whatever you have. Don't make excuses for what you don't have. Do everything that you can with what you have. Let me ask you something. When it comes to your life, do you ever get tired of doing things half-baked? Listen to me. You're better than that. You're better than that. You matter more, and what you do matters more than you think. What you have to offer is more important than what you think. You can do more than you think, and you have more of an opportunity to do things than you think, and it's easier than you think to make a difference. Let me explain. When it comes to making a difference, it's not so much about doing something big. 
as much as it is about something good every single day of your life. Did you hear that? Making a difference isn't so much about doing something big as much as it is about doing something small that is good every single day of your life. You can make a difference little by little over the course of time doing good things, impacting the world for Christ. Do something good every single day of your life. And here's, hear this, it's important. Never underestimate the power of small things. Never underestimate the power of small acts of first kindness. Never underestimate this, the power of small acts of kindness. Why? Because kindness is scarce in our culture today. I don't know if you've been paying attention as you shop. Can you imagine being at Walmart and the department store and you're, and you're holding all of these things and somebody from the front of the line looking back at you and say, hey, they've got a lot of stuff. Come up to the front of the line. You can cut the line. And everybody in the line is happy about this. Please come up. Please, no, get in front of me. Please, on, uh, they've got a lot of things. Go, you just get right on up there, and everybody say, ask you how your day is going. And, you know, you just get right on up there. What, you don't have enough? You know, we'll pay for it right now. No big deal. Can you imagine somebody doing something like that? It's very scarce. It's kind of like this. If you were to walk out into the foyer because of the, all of the ambient light, because of the windows and all, everything like that, if you were to light a candle, you really wouldn't see that candle. You can put that candle over in, in a corner of the room or, you know, put it down front by the doors and nobody would recognize or even pay attention to that candle. But if in here, if you were to shut down all the lights and I were to hold a candle up, every eye would be focused on that candle because it's the only light in the room. The Bible says that you are the light of the world and this, and this world is filled with darkness. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine. Where there is scarcity of kindness, kindness, the smallest acts of kindness have the biggest effect. How about this? Never underestimate the smallest acts of generosity because generosity is so scarce in our culture. Last week we did a, an event called Bikes for Kids. Most of you were probably a part of it. Maybe to you, buying a bicycle for a kid's not a big thing. Maybe you bought all your, all your kids several bikes, and, and all, it was all you could do to get your kids to ride the bikes that you bought them. I know that we, we spoil our kids, but, 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 but consider the fact that some of those kids might not have gotten Christmas had we not bought them a bike. Had we not bought them a bike. Do you remember the looks on their faces? You know, I, I couldn't get my kids to always ride their bikes, but we couldn't keep these kids from riding in the expo center. We had to make announcements. Hey, if you don't mind, we need everybody uh, not running over everybody with the bikes. Please walk your bikes. They were riding their bikes to get the tires aired up. They were riding their bikes to get the training wheels off. They were riding to get the seats adjusted. They were riding their bikes. Why? Because the smallest acts of generosity, because generosity is so scarce, the smallest acts of generosity have the largest impact. Never underestimate the smallest acts. Amen? Look for opportunities to make your life count. Look at your neighbor and say, make it count. So that when the Bible talks about our lives, it talks about the fact that they are short. Number two, you only get one. Number three, make it count. Lastly, number four, this life is only the beginning. It's a warm-up what God is going to do in the next life. This life is not the end. Your life is a prerequisite to prepare you for the life to come. The day you become a living soul, 
Your soul became eternal. You will exist forever in the next life somewhere. Does this eternal reality bring you hope? It's supposed to. When I tell you, listen to me, this life prepares you for the next life. This, this breath, this, this short little span, this mist, the Bible says, of life is a prerequisite to prepare you and determines where and how you exist in the next life. Does that eternal reality bring you hope? It's supposed to. Jesus did not come into this world to save you out of it or to deliver you out of it. He came into this world to show you how to live in it and give you hope in the next life. And to deliver you from the curse of this life. What is the curse of this life? Death. But he didn't deliver you from the physical death. He delivered you from the spiritual death, which is eternal separation from God. He came into this world to show us how to live and to prepare us for the next life. But he also came into this world to show us what it would look like in the next life to walk with God. And John 1 and 14, I love John's gospel, his writings of, of, the, of, of the Christmas story. He bypasses the manger scene. Listen to what he says. He says, so the word became human and made his home among us. I want you to read that sentence with me. Here we go. So the word became human and made his home. Um, one more time. So the word became human and made his home among us. I've got nothing against the manger scene, but i it just doesn't do as much for me as this right here. He says, he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory, the Father's one and only Son. I, I, I grow weary of the phrase, baby Jesus. I grow weary of that. And I know that we got to talk about it at Christmas time because you couldn't have eternal life, and we can't talk about the life and the death and the crucifixion of Christ unless you talk about the manger scene. And I know that it fulfilled prophecy, but the message is not the manger. The message is the Messiah that's in the manger who became human. It fulfilled an ancient Old Testament prophecy that it said, look for the Messiah. He's coming and he's going to be in Bethlehem and he's going to save the world from their sins. Christmas is all about God becoming human. Let me say that again. Christmas is all about God becoming human to save us and to show us life, true life. But listen to this, and this, I think we missed this. He also came to give us a preview of what it's going to be like to be in the next life. Listen to me. When Jesus came here on earth, John says this, we walked with God. Emmanuel, that's what it means, God with us. John says we, when, when Jesus came to the earth, when the word became flesh, he dwelt among us, Emmanuel. God with us, Emmanuel. God living with us, God walking with us, Emmanuel. We're hanging out with God today. That's what they did. That's what the disciples did. The, the, the Sea of Galilee, they're, you know, they're, they're going across to the other side. The waves are coming over the ship. They think that they're going to drown. They think the ship's going down. Jesus, we're about to die. You're asleep because he was also human. You're asleep. He walks out. Looks around, staggers to the front because the boat's going everywhere. And he says this, calm down. Woo. The Bible says the disciples stepped back and said, who is this man that the wind and sea obey? 
We walked with God, he said, and we saw all of his glory. What's wrong with her? She, she passed away. What happened? Well, she, she got sick and she died. We tried to get you here. Everybody out of the room. Little girl, get up. She sneezes seven times. Give her something to eat. She's hungry. We got to row. Don't tell anybody about this. He says, we walked with God. What happened? Lazarus, the one that you love, he died. He's been dead for four days. Roll away the stone. No, he's been, you don't understand. He's been dead four days. He stinketh, the Bible says. Just roll away the stone. Dear God in heaven, he says, Jesus prays, I know that you always hear me when I pray. And I don't pray because of that, but I pray so all of these people around here will understand that you know that you and I are one. And then he says, Lazarus, come forth. John was saying, we saw that. We saw them lower this man into a room. And then when he was crippled, he just says, hey, take up your mat and walk. And he, he rolls it up and leaves different than he came. We saw that. We don't have any money to pay taxes. Oh, that again. Okay, go down to the, go down to the lake, catch a fish, and get the coin out of the mouth of, of, uh, of, the, of the fish, and then pay our 33% taxes or whatever. Pay that. We saw and we walked with God. God, there's, Jesus, there's, there's, there's 5,000 people everywhere. They want something to eat. They're all hungry. They've been following us for three days. Hey, set everybody down in groups of 50. What do we have over here? Well, we have five loaves and two fish. We're having fish and chips today. We saw that. John says, we walked with God. That is a preview of the next life. If I can, if I can get us to wrap our minds around what it's going to be like in the next life. I was thinking about what, what that would be like. and I, I, My examples fail me, but the closest that I can do is take you to take your mind to somebody that you really admire. Somebody that has an unusual ability because of their talent that they almost seem like a, a you know, that, that you would just love to be in their presence. Somebody like that. Who would be like that? I think of athletes. Somebody that has a God-given ability to do something. And everybody likes the thunder, right? Anybody here does not like the thunder? Just let me see your hands. We'll usher you out right now. I'm just kidding. And I think most people like Russell Westbrook. He's arguably the best point guard we've ever seen. He's got an over-the-top personality. He's got a sense of fashion. He's a handsome guy, got a, a great smile. I mean, you got to like him. I mean, he's just the, his, his intensity on the court, you got to love that guy. I mean, I would think that it would be really cool if, he, if we could sit down and have, have lunch with him. But, it, but I want you to think about this for a second. What it was, would be like to be with somebody with an unusual ability. Jesus had the ability. Remember, he was God in the flesh. He had unusual abilities. Okay, we, don't, we can't get that right now here. But somebody who has unusual abilities that is world-renowned, somebody like that. What it would be like to, to hang out with somebody like Russell Westbrook? Think of somebody in your mind if you can. I mean, and it's not like you get to see him, you know, at the Shawnee Mall. Well, first of all, if Russell Westbrook is at the Shawnee Mall, we know that something's wrong. He's at a flat on I-40 and he's walked across. He ain't, he ain't rolling up shopping at Shawnee Mall, okay? You know, it's, it's kind of a deal where, where it, but, but he's here. It's, it's, but it's not like you're trying to get a signature from him or an autograph or you want to get your picture and a selfie with him. It's not like that. He is a part of your everyday life. So it's like, hey, guys, it's Russell. Come on in, buddy. Have a seat. We're Netflixing up in here. Want something to eat? And he runs into you, 
I mean, at his park that he's built, Russell Westbrook basketball court. So you're there, and you see me over there, and I'm like one-on-one -on -one with him. Come on. Let me see what you got. Come on, Russ. He's just a part of your life. And he's asking how you're doing every single day. Hey, what's going on? Well, we're having a tough time. Why? Well, it's Christmas. We're having a tough time financially. Hey, and he brings one of his assistants in. He says, hey, help them out financially. Give them whatever they need. What's going on with you? We're trying to get to Los Angeles to see our family, but, you know, the airlines are booked. He said, well, take my private jet. Then you see him every single day, and, and it's not like, you know, he has to deal with you. He wants to be a part of your life, and he's asking you every single day. And he's walking by, and when he sees you and, and kind of gives you a high five, he admires He loves you. What would it be like? That, you're not going to experience that from somebody that high profile. But Jesus loved the disciples. And when John writes about it, he says, we walked with this guy. He, it wasn't somebody that knew how to put a basketball in a hoop. It was somebody that knew how to raise people from the dead. It was somebody that they saw transfigured up on a mountain that they knew that God was a part of what was going on here. And that is a preview of the life to come. That's what John was trying to say in the next life. John caught a glimpse of it in Revelation 21 and 1. He didn't really know how to, it would be, I mean, how do you explain something like this? But listen to what he says. He gives us a preview of what it's like and what he experienced. Just a little bit. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God is walking around with us, he's saying. God himself will be with them. And not just one of the angels, not just one of the assistants, not just one of the disciples. It says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more sorrow, no crying, nor pain. All of these things are gone forever. Why? Because we are walking with God. The Bible says that there is no sun in the new heaven and the new earth because all of the glory that, that, that is coming from God is bringing light to all of our lives. I can't explain that. I don't know. I don't get that. I don't know what it's like. But I do know this, that God's glory is going to fill the earth and we will walk with God. The Bible says that in the next heaven and the new earth that there's going to be a tree of life that if you don't feel well, you just walk over. I don't know how it works, but you get a leaf and you eat it and you feel better. I don't know. Maybe it's like a B12 shot. And then, and then there's this river, a river of life. It's called a river of life. Are you not feeling well? Get down and get you a drink of river of life. You know, it's going to be like that. We walk with God. And Christmas is about that preview, showing us this is what it's like. Oh, you get about three years of living with Jesus. This is what it's like. We live with God. But it ain't compared to nothing as, as what it's going to be like in the next heaven and the new earth. Amen? Come on, let's give God praise. Emmanuel, God with us. So when it comes to your life, remember, it's short. You only get one. Make a difference and remember, this ain't it. There's something better coming because you believe on the Lord Jesus. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to be here today. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us today, and thank you for what we feel in our hearts, the hope that has been given to us, no matter where we are in our lives, number no matter where we are, Lord, one of these days we wake up in a new heaven and new earth because your son came to this earth to show us the way.
That's what Christmas is all about. To show us a way and to give us a hope in the next life and to give us a preview of what the next life is going to be. So, Father, speak to us today wherever we are. Minister to us. Give hope to the hopeless. Heal the brokenhearted. Heal the sick. But most of all, bring people to you that don't know you. For those that have not accepted your son, for those that have not received Christ, may we all do this in Christ's name. As your heads are bowed and nobody moving around or looking around, maybe God is speaking to you today about the condition of your life. And you can say, Travis, I live for God. Jesus is Lord and Savior of my life. But I've gotten some, I've become distracted by some things and I'm really not living the way I should live for God. And God is tugging at my heart today. Maybe God has brought a hope into your life and you need to settle some things. You need to commit some things to God. Maybe there are some things that are going on in your home and your marriage that needs to be addressed. You haven't addressed those things. Maybe there are some things that you've been putting off and what we've talked today is about taking care of those things today and God is speaking to you today about those things. Whatever God is doing in your life, however God is speaking to you, I want you to answer yes, whatever that is. As I pray with you right now, remember this is not about whether or not you're a Christian. This is about some things that might be going on in your life that you need to address. So as we pray today, settle those things, give those things to God. Let God bring healing into your life right now. If you're seated next to somebody that's special to you or you love, you might take that person by the hand. There is power in praying with others. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person that is here, and I thank you, Father, that you are confronting people right now. Heavenly Father, that you're dealing with people about the condition of their heart and soul. And whatever needs to be addressed, whatever is going on in our lives, Father, we won't put it off anymore. But we will say yes to what your spirit is leading us to do. Whatever it may be, may we eliminate anything that would separate us from you and separate us from the calling that you have placed in all of our lives. And may we can commit once and for all to the calling, commit once and for all to do what we have intended to do. May we never be the people that we don't want to be. May I never be the person that I don't want to be, but may I surrender my life to your calling every single day. We confess this, we believe this, in the name of Jesus. If you do, say amen. If you'll continue to bow your heads, I want to pray one more prayer, and this is for people that don't know Christ. If you're here and you have not invited Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life, this prayer is for you. Maybe you can say, Travis, I have never given my life to Christ, and I feel like God is dealing with me today to surrender my life. Or maybe you can say, Travis, I, I think that I lived for God once, or I, I gave my life to Christ, but I've walked away from God, and I feel like I'm separated. I feel like I'm miles away from God, and I really feel like he's dealing with me to come home today. I really feel this. If that's you, I would love to lead you in a prayer. I'm not going to single you out, embarrass you ask you to come down here, anything like that, we'll pray just the way we prayed. And today you can come home to God and settle it once for all and give your life to Christ. I'd like to know if I'm praying for people. So with nobody looking around between you, me, and God, if you can say, Travis, if you will pray that prayer to come home to Christ, 
I want you to enter me into that prayer, and I'm going to pray with you. Just real quickly, I just want to know if there are people here that can say that. That's me, Travis. I'm going to give my life to Christ today. Just lift your hand to let me know you're serious. I just, I just want to know. Can anybody say that? I'll ask one more time, just in case there's somebody here. If you're serious, I need to see your hands. I see your hands over there, both of you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody in this section? In the middle, I see your hand right there. Anybody else? Before we pray. All right, we're going to pray. And I don't know if I saw everybody's hand, but God saw your hand and God saw your heart. So today as we pray, repeat this prayer after me. We're all going to pray together, and you can give your life to Christ today. Let's all pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, as I am before you today, I give you my life. Jesus, I ask you to be Lord and Savior of my life, to forgive me for all of my sins, and wash me clean and whole. I give you my life. Jesus, I believe in you, that you died for me and rose from the dead, and from this moment on, my life is committed to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Come on, guys, let's celebrate today.